Finding the right person for the job isn't easy. Just ask someone who hired their personal trainer as a caterer. All right, folks, let's keep this line moving. You there with the tongs. Picking up one Duchess potato at a time will not cut it at my catering table. Drop and give me 50. But if you've got an insurance question, you can always count on your local GEICO agent. They can bundle your policies, which could save you hundreds. Okay, this is what we call the wild mushroom and asparagus dip, dip, and press. Come on, let's get those plates above your heads. For expert help with all your insurance needs, visit geico.com slash local today. Hello and welcome to another episode of Get Out A Wrap, the podcast where we talk all things contact centres. And today I'm lucky enough to be joined by Ed Marks, who is the National Quality Manager for the AA. He's got great experience in conduct risk and quality management in the financial services industry and that's... um, incorporates companies like Co-op, Towergate, amongst others. And um, I've got to know Ed through various um, industry events, and we've had some great chats, and hopefully we'll have another one today. But Ed, thanks very much for agreeing to do this. No, thank you. I'm really happy to be part of it. Obviously, I mentioned before I've been listening to them. I think it's great. Um, I think there's definitely um, a great bigger network than probably people expect out there of people that are wanting this stuff and wanting to tap into to something else. So, yeah, really happy to, to talk. Brilliant. And um, if we think about your the current role you've got now, um, already within some of the f- groups that we've got, people kind of gravitate towards you and asking your opinion um, because of the insight you offer, but also the kind of the, your role now as National Quality Manager for an organisation like the AA... Um, can you just give any, uh, people listening an idea of the size and the scale of your team and also what they, what you kind of cover? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, uh, talking about kind of large teams, I've got, I've got five quality teams um, and 50 to 60 heads around that, around that space. Um, so quite a large team. Um, my role was a new role, which is really about bringing it all together under one, one umbrella. Um, and leading the function forward um, under kind of a new uh, a new framework and a new setup. Um, so challenges around that um, consistency. I think anyone from a quality monitoring perspective on either side, so anyone who's completing quality or from an operational point of view, um, who then receives the feedback. I think that is definitely one of the one of the biggest challenges. And I think when you're talking about um, multi-site as well. Um, you know, as opposed to some of the operational leads in the contact centre, when you've got people spread across three contact centres, it's making sure they're under the central kind of culture for a quality team, as opposed to tying themselves into necessarily the local culture and issues. Um, and again, that's that's another challenge, but, um, you know, we're, we're getting there for sure. So do those five teams, are they all in different geographical locations? Yes. Yes, um, they all are. So um, currently, you know, we've got Manchester, uh, North East, up in Newcastle and, uh, and a site in Birmingham as well. Um, so my role entails um, travelling up and down, up and down the country. But, um, you know, for me, visibility is huge. I think if I'm kind of talking about the culture that I want to embed, um, I don't feel I can necessarily do that on the end of a Skype. So yeah. um, you get so much more from actually being there and facing off into your teams for sure. Do they all cover um, different activity or 
are they covering the same activity but in different locations? So, um, you know, my team actually, the, the breadth of what they do is, is huge. I mean, 27 different kind of processes um, actually come into, my, and come into my area. So again, talking about consistency is a challenge. You know, I've got to keep um, them competent in all of those, those areas. Um, but I think that puts us in a really unique position to cut across the business, the organisation, from a customer experience and customer journey point of view and provide best practice and insight um, into, into the organisation centrally. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we talk about in some of the meetings, we have special interest groups, etc., how unique uh, kind of position the, the QA is in um, from an advocacy point of view. Um, and I think here what we do really well is, is that definitely comes true, comes good. Um, you know, we sit in a lot of the commercial forums with our product management teams. We feed into product development. Um, there's definitely more we could do, but I think, um, you know, we are recognised as kind of a central, a central thread, if you will. And that's quite... How do you... For people that are listening and maybe um, wanting to try and aspire or deliver that kind of... Because you've got a seat at the table yeah. to talk about how you're collecting all of these different experiences over and above maybe just monitoring and then being able to share across sites, like you say, in this kind of something we've talked about um, many times around one of the few functions that is able to go around the contact centre, bringing it all together. How was it, has it always been that case or what advice would you give to people in terms of how do you insert yourself in there over and above yeah. the perception of what quality monitoring is? So I think that's, that's a really interesting question. And from my perspective, um, the amount of times, um, you know, when you, you take an additional workload on, uh, I mean, I always say to my guys, I think from a support function perspective, and the clue is in the title, we are called quality, you've got to go that extra mile. Mm. So the more people are coming to us asking for support, I'm like, that is only a good thing. Um, from my perspective, talking about seat at the table, I don't think it was always that way. Mm. Um, but selfishly, it's for people to understand, actually, um, you know, I've got to kick the door down, really, and ask for, I need this MI to support the work that we do. So me sitting in a, in a complaints forum, as an example, okay, that might not necessarily be part of my day-to-day responsibilities, but actually, as a, as a quality lead, um, you know, I need that insight um, and then demonstrating the value that we add through that. Mm. So um, I think it's been, it's been a journey to, to get people to understand the value that we can add. But something I'm, very, I'm really keen on um, and through kind of the objectives that I set with, with my guys is that commercial awareness piece of just looking at the bigger picture um, and kind of joining the dots up. You know, that's something that in quality we ask the operation to do day in, day out. So I've got to lead by example. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's, um, it's been a bit of trial and error. Um, I think it's not just sitting in the meeting, it's actually bringing something back to the meeting to demonstrate, we talked about this, actually we're at early detective control. Mm-hmm. So this initiative that you've implemented, yes, it's potentially gonna work or no, and these are the reasons why. And kind of giving them that insight early has demonstrated our value and why you know, we should be part of that conversation. Um, but it's about evidence, I can't stress that enough. Um, and you know, sometimes when you're dealing with commercial people, it's, it's numbers. Um, and I think that's that's always a challenge when you speak to anyone that works in a quality space. Um, you know, we're not necessarily income generators. Um, so it's kind of joining up the dots and demonstrating from an MI point of view where we add value. Is that a reduction in AHT? 
is that an improvement in conversion or a reduction in customer complaints um, and making sure you have access to that data is, is really really key to be mm. part of the conversation for sure and have you seen that kind of that evolution then of both the people you're dealing with but also within your own team more over and above you're just there to be the um, the people looking after the quality score and then reporting it through to other KPIs that are then you're then talking the language of other people around the table. So for you, you know, you mentioned you talked to someone about how you might have been able to identify an increase in conversion. Then I imagine that other people suddenly perk up a little bit and get a bit more interested in what you guys are what you guys are saying. Yeah, absolutely, and I think um, you know that is definitely where we where we want to take it. Um, as with many people in a financial services space, regulation and quality are, are kind of often linked to the to the extreme almost. Um, and you know, we're, we're viewed as line one, line one point five, that the, the stop before compliance, or sometimes we're just viewed as compliance, dependent on who you speak to. Um, and I think it's almost scaling it back that yes, that's part of what we do, and absolutely we provide that reassurance to senior management that we regularly regularly meet our, our requirements. Um, but actually, it's an operational tool to provide insight. Mm. And you know, certainly I've had discussions with kind of um, you know our continuous improvements team, where they will perform their own call listening exercises. Um, and, you know, I'm kind of sat there like, well, I've got a team that do that every day. I'm probably in much higher volume. So mm-hmm. come to me and why don't we link up on that and we can support you with that project um, and, uh, and, you know, provide that insight, you know, that, that's actually fundamentally really important in driving everything forward. Um, so we're not there yet. I think it's probably safe to say, um, you know, for me, some limitations are systems. Um, I think... If you look at what's happening in a, in a digital space and some of kind of the analytics capability to, to demonstrate why people are calling, you know, where the exceptions are, something I like to talk about is at the moment it feels we're kind of following the norm line and actually we need to be away from the norm line and my team need to be looking at the exceptions and not just from a, somebody hasn't read the right scripting, but, you know, fundamentally understanding why has there been a, a 10% increase in calls about fees, for example, this month? Um, so that is kind of where I think we need to take it. And how do you... And one of the things that... Um, where, where I am now um, with BPA is we will often have people who have honed in on... And it's great to see, actually, but honed in on this idea of insight, yeah. an actionable insight. Yeah. And it's become a word that people are bandying around a lot. Um, for us, over and above, you know, does your framework allow your teams to be able to identify it? But then how do you bring that consistency of what insight is or what do you define insight as within your teams? So that's, um, yeah, I mean, that is a really, that is a really good challenge. I mean, I, I would definitely say I need to do more to empower people to deliver that insight. I think if you kind of sifted through the data, it's there. Um, but inevitably, the focus is is around the customer outcomes piece, mm. as opposed to some of the experience insight that might be there. So I think partially it's actually the the sampling that you're doing, um, because you know if you're just looking at a, a proportion of sales month in month out, is it really in a, in a quite a small volume? Let's be honest. Um, yet to hear anyone doing kind of huge percentages of of the calls that they take um, in, in a large operation. Um, are you really going to surface all of the trends that you'd want to? So I think you've got to take it right back to what is our process and mm. do we think we're going to even 
you know, hit all of these different factors. Um, I then think it's it's the empowerment piece, really. So actually, for, from my perspective, the guys are so um, familiar with the quality process. What other MI is available or do I make available to them to actually understand, is this a bigger issue? You know, am I pulling a thread here and I need to go away and, and, and understand are there other um, reports that are showing us that this is a potential problem? Um, and, you know, some of that can even come through in your staff engagement. Um, because if we're picking up, you know, in a month, right, okay, we've got a number of agencies, qualities declined. Are we tapped into what's going on from a HR perspective or a people perspective to understand, well, recently there's been an issue around attrition or something that's created some negative engagement on the department? And I don't think it is that, um, that insightful at the moment, but I think that's where it needs to go. Is that some of the disruption you're talking about? Because that's fascinating, because then what we're, what we're talking about is if you consider that a quality team looks after the regulatory element and quality, that's a given. That's just the foundation. But then over and above that, they, in, in pursuing their support of your operational sites, they're like this investigative team. Yeah. And yeah. It, by giving them access to more information to gain a holistic picture of the people that they're, that they're assessing. Is that what you mean? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, we talk about um, my guys as kind of the, the early detectives, so they are that detective control. Um, and that's, you know, really important to me is to explain that to my customers and my operational um, leads and kind of say, look, this is your first point that maybe something's not right. Um, so before we follow that through and that manifests in, in something more serious, let's investigate it and close the loop now to give us comfort that... Um, you know, it's, it's not a wider issue. Um, and I think that's really how we pitch it. So when you're talking about the output and, and root cause analysis, it's um, taking that balanced view. Because ultimately, they should challenge me as well. You know, if I'm, if I'm sat here saying, hang on a minute, we've got all of these people failing to meet this regulatory requirement, and we view that as a poor customer outcome. Um, obviously, the regulators provided guidance, but as we know, that's not as prescriptive in some scenarios. Mm. Um, but actually, you know, our, our CSAT scores are fantastic. Um, you know, NPS is great and we're not receiving any complaints about that issue. Does that then challenge me to say, well, hang on a minute, is the pendulum swung too far? Is the dial right? Because what we're viewing as a poor customer outcome, our customer's view is great. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's also to do that from my perspective because, you know, I'm quite honest about that. Um, we can go off a hunch and, you know, I might own the framework and methodology, but I'd also expect to be challenged back, but with evidence. <laughs> <laughs> and what, when you um, mentioned earlier around disruption, um, and also it's, it, it seems to me it's already apparent that you're kind of navigating around both complex in your own teams, but also other stakeholders and lines of business and your customers, internal and external, this, this idea of, um, from a quality point of view, commercial versus quality, customer experience versus regulation, what, what are your views on that? So I think, um, you know, a lot. I'm from a, um, I, I started in quality, uh, well I started in a call centre many moons ago, uh, moved into quality quite quickly and, and went into complaint handling myself, uh, quality and complaint handling. I think since then, um, you know, I've predominantly worked in monitoring. Um, first or second line. Previous to, to here, I was in a compliance and risk role, um, which I think was really useful, actually, um, because I think there's a danger sometimes when you're sat in, in the QAs, and I see it with my guys, that first and second line is almost seen as vertical. 
so the second line control us and I'm like quality and compliance are two different things actually um, and it's important that we you know have those just these conversations and, and, and challenge them to a degree um, so when I mentioned earlier about sometimes it seems that uh, quality is solely viewed as proxy compliance monitoring if you talk about the commercial element it's almost like sales has become a dirty word um, when actually why are we here and fundamentally yeah. yes regulations changed and there's more guidance around what we should and shouldn't be doing and the control frameworks that we should operate within but actually, as an organisation, we've always wanted to provide our customers with products they use. Um, you know, obviously it improves brand advocacy, loyalty, and that's you know within our values to do that. Mm. Um, the regulation is, is kind of additional control to support us to deliver that and, and identify where we're maybe not doing that. And I think that's, um, that's really important, as we've fundamentally always wanted to do the right things for our customers. We've just got a lot more evidence available to us of where we are or where we aren't and, and making sure that we're putting those right. So I think um, it's redressing the balance to a degree. Um, because, you know, with my guys, I think um, it's almost scared to have that conversation because sales or, you know, it's viewed as this old school and, and, and kind of environment. But actually, we want our agents to be having great conversations with our customers. And you want the customers engaged. Yeah, are. exactly. The customers yeah. are meant to be engaging with the products and everything is designed to facilitate that. Absolutely, so. yeah. So quality should support that agenda. Um, and I think, um, you know, that for me in the next 12 months, that, that's definitely a big focus is to kind of um, bring that back in line. So we're not only talking about the kind of regulatory errors, we're also talking about, OK, what's our strategy to improve, um, you know, our call quality? So we're having better, more meaningful value adding conversations with with our members and customers. Um and that's, I think, really important to differentiate. I mean, what I always say is compliance is binary. We either did or we didn't do something. Quality absolutely isn't. Mm. And you look at most of the frameworks that are out there, and certainly from my peer group, you know, you're not looking at two outcomes. Everyone's moved away from a yes, no. Mm. So fundamentally, that tells you that quality and compliance monitoring are two very different things mm. if, we're, if we're recording different outcomes. Um, and it makes it dif more difficult sometimes because there's those shades of grey. And when we talk about levelling and consistency, that's really hard. But, um, you know, pull your commercial objectives into that quality framework. Mm. Um, why shouldn't I have sitting in my annual objectives, you know, support the operation in, in delivering more commercial value? Because ultimately, you can absolutely link that back to good customer experience and good customer outcomes. They don't need to conflict. Do, you, do your guys have the ability to, just on that, to be able to share... Um, or how do they share then the more commercial elements that they've they, they've investigated, found, and they want to they want to feed that back? How do they do that? So I think um, our our quality framework is, is is three pillars. You know, it's it's definitely there to look at the customer outcome, but of course we measure process adherence. Um, now I think historically I probably would have said um, you'd be looking at your process adherence because actually if we're coming away from you know our business processes that would suggest that we're not following the, the process, we're not having the right level of conversation. I'd probably like to challenge that and I think actually there's a separate section which talks about our values and our customer values mm. and for me it, it ultimately falls under there. Um, so you know 
there's a lot of rigor, as you can imagine, in financial services around what reporting goes where, and yeah. certainly the customer outcomes piece goes, um, you know, to, to various different senior management forums, and inevitably that's what catches the eye. Um, but actually, what do we do with that customer values piece? Because arguably that's equally as important, and there's so much information in there. So I think that's kind of where we're at at the moment. We're definitely reviewing how those trends are surfaced. How does that link into wider root cause analysis, where we look at complaints data as well, and, and bringing that in there. So my guys are kind of the advocates of that. Um, so first thing I need to do is actually read back to the framework and does it support my people to do that? Um, and I think the honest answer is partially. So there's, there's something we need to do there and then some, definitely some training um, to get people to understand what they should and shouldn't be challenging. And do you, as you kind of, how often do you review your framework? Because I guess is that then the opportunity for you to course correct based on the balance between commercial and regulatory? Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, anyone in quality will probably tell you they're in a constant state of review. (laughs) Um, And that's a good thing. Um, It might not always be seen as such, but I think it is definitely a good thing. You know, certainly from my perspective, um, I always say to to my teams, look, we're in a really unique position because we own our processes. So we're actually, you know, we can be agile and and change things within reason. Obviously, if it's going to impact on other areas, there's an approvals process to follow. Um, So honestly, we're in a constant state of review. I think something wholesale um, at the moment, you know, it's it's making sure that we're not the only ones taking the lead on that. You know, it shouldn't necessarily be led by compliance. It shouldn't be led by me. It actually needs to be led by the operation because it's their tool. Um, and I think sometimes we forget that it's not my tool. They're, they're my customers. <laughs> yeah. And I need to ensure I'm delivering a, a good value add and service to them. Um, so, yeah, I mean, every six months, I think, um, because things just move so fast, um, so, so fast-paced in a contact centre environment. I think for me to sit on something as fundamental as the QM framework for 12 months um, wouldn't be the right thing to do. I also think that um, facing off into, into operational leads and, and commercial people, telling them that we review it every six months kind of... Um, persuades them that yeah okay we're flexible it's reassuring though as yeah well. absolutely yeah. and I think that's really key and interestingly I've had I've had conversations with with other um, peers in other organizations and I said you know for me a key lesson learned is ensuring that they understand that that's a review that they can lead mm. you don't necessarily need to wait for me we can mm. support you and we can facilitate it but even if it's something as simple as just getting agents in a workshop and speaking to them involving QAs what works for them what doesn't work for them um do they think they can surface what they need to surface? Not me sat there with some cold process document, um, you know, changing a couple of words around and sending it off to compliance because that's not what it's about. No. It won't drive the right behaviours. Um, and I think that's, that's really important. To, to That ownership piece is key. Absolutely. And how, just for people to get an idea of the scale, so your team of 50, 60, how many, um, what's the scale in the operation that they are then supporting? So about 5% of um, transactions, so I actually looked at a report this morning, so it should be pretty fresh. <laughs> um, so 3,600 call evaluations, uh, sorry, evaluations, because it's not just calls, we do some, we do some uh, file activity as well, um, and that's about 1,700 agents um, that have a quality touch point each month. So yeah, quite a large, um, a large scope, um, and you know, the, the, I think uh, improving my process so um, making that more lean more agile will allow us to um, unlock more 
more capability. I mean, you know, the, the business definitely support me and we want to do more. Um, so I think that's, that's really, really important. And what are your views then on um, how do you set up or feed, um, feedback and coaching? So that the evaluations that your team are doing um, are then fed into uh, the operations. What's your, do you have any involvement in what that looks like? And so yeah, definitely. So um, and this is this is quite an interesting one because this is a discussion I have quite regularly with my team. Um, because you know, I say to, to the guys um, who absolutely get it. By the way, um, they're feeding back to the agents who have got a customer on the end of the phone. You know, to us, the agent is almost our customer. Um, you know that that quality analysis that's completed needs to stand alone. I almost if someone has to go and listen to that call after we've done our analysis that maybe challenges how mm. good the output yeah. was yeah. and um, I think it's them understanding that they're our customers so what we assess them against you almost apply it to yourself um, and, and I think that's really key as we're delivering a service and embedding them in you know that that kind of ethos in them you know we've got our own SLAs um, to do that and um, the team leaders are our partner mm. and the agent is our customer um, because the team leader is responsible for kind of the feedback and the coaching and um, one thing that we do um, which definitely um, I mean, depending who you speak to, I mean, for me, it's definitely it's great to have that level of insight. Is we also quality assess team leaders, um, so we look across the whole piece um, and provide assurance over the end-to-end -end process. So we will monitor them as well to make sure that feedback and coaching is effective. You you're monitoring their coaching sessions. Uh, yes, we will do a, a full review. So following um, quality feedback that's done by the quality analysts, I've got another team within my team, um, kind of quality control, will follow the case through to the team leader to understand if, if actually the feedback was effective and the coaching was effective. So um, That's great. Yeah, a bit, a bit of a police state, um, but people are bought into it. And I think um, that actually for us was, was kind of um, really key at shifting um, you know the ownership I think um, and driving some some ownership um, and I think you know when you look at your department leads um, they've got all of that information available at their fingertips to what their people are doing mm. um, and how effective it is so it definitely supports in kind of closing down the risk well it's it, it from our you know again we've talked about this before but from our point of view if you've got your quality function and framework and it's it's, it's operating really well and you're very happy with it but the handover or the, the manner in which the feedback is delivered and then coached for an improvement, um, if you don't have ownership of that. So where you say police that, I think this is just a nice joined up process yeah. because you can, as a baton is handed over, you're still coaching the next runner in the relay rather than just kind of turning around and going, well, I did my bit. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it's, it's sharing those standards as well, um, because I think, you know, you'll know that there's always a degree of nervousness about change and who likes their work being monitored at the end of the day. And um, there's always going to be some trepidation there. But, um, you know, it's sharing those standards and, and the same as we do with the, the quality outcomes with the team leader outcomes. We, we do level in sessions as well and workshops of best practice. It's not always easy and you know it's time allowing as well. Um, so it wouldn't make any sense for me to be holding everybody to a standard that actually operationally just isn't achievable. Mm. Um, so we definitely collaborate on that as well, but we've seen some fantastic improvements from that. Um, so that's been a, a really good value add piece of work for us. How do you, and one of the things I would be interested to get your views on this is um, we, 
will work with companies around, um, even in a fast-paced environment, trying to be able to provide something over, above, over and above the arbitrary, did something happen, yes or no? Has a process been followed, yes or no? Um, something around like feedback fatigue from an operational point of view. I've got someone in quality that is, and from a sorry, from a quality point of view, wanting to be able to provide something fresh to operations. So, if you're complete, if you're always repeating the same anecdotal insight or feedback, and then both parties kind of get fatigued by that, how do you kind of keep? What are your views on? Is there any? methodology or things you can think about keeping that fresh so firstly um let's be honest a lot of the reporting that you see and the mi that you see that comes out the back of this stuff isn't isn't the sexiest i think (laughs) um and i think for me it's about pulling you know make it as easy as possible and i think that's definitely something we're reviewing through systems capability is you know new dashboards more insightful dashboards um so it's not just quality and isolation because i agree i agree with you martin i think there is absolutely a danger of fatigue um and i think you know definitely sympathetic if you're a a new team leader with a new team um, who then have their own challenges complaints are sending feedback through quality sending feedback through you're then being assessed and you've got your manager sat there saying why aren't you performing on these KPIs let's make it as easy as possible for them so I think the first thing is getting everything together in one place um, so I talked about earlier from a from a you know customer outcomes and experience strategy not viewing the metrics in isolation um, because you know, sometimes f- from my perspective, okay, yeah, you can have a really bad, a really bad QM, a really bad case. Um, but actually, if you could provide assurance to me that everything else was fine and this person was just having a bad day, um, is the right thing to do to remove them from the customer-facing activity as heavy-handed as someone where you've identified, hang on a minute, this person just isn't getting it, and actually mm-hmm. there's, there's ample evidence to suggest that mm-hmm. they just can't do the role. They need to be treated differently, and team leaders need to be empowered to do that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely a constant struggle because um, there's process on top of process on top of process. Um, so... I, I think watch this space for that one, if I'm honest. I don't think we've got it completely right. Um, but I, I definitely think you've got to look at kind of systems and, and, and how you're presenting the data in the first place and read backwards from that. Talking about them being the customer, asking them, is this giving you what you need? Mm-hmm. Actually, if it's not, how could we do it better? Um, so, yeah, I'm sympathetic, but we do outsource the QM to my teams. So you've had that time saved. So yeah. arguably, you should be spending that doing this other stuff and your own analysis. I had this. I had this thought the other day, and I knew you'd be. You were someone I wanted to talk to about it. I, you mentioned disruptive and quality, and you know the work you've done already here, and the stuff that you share in the groups that we go to. Um, disruption, whether through technology or just how things are done, um, is is important to you. One of the things I was thinking is recognizing. And this will be a challenge. Mm. For, it would be good to get your view because of the scale that you look after. One of the things that I think we sometimes forget is that we are all we're dealing with humans. So, and just bear with me on this one. This um, technically, you've got three people where we often overlook the extent to which you mentioned it before. Is someone just having a bad day? So, the extent to which they're present and in a positive place. So, you've got the customer. Um, who could be just 
unhappy. That's that's mm. you've got three way relationship here because you've got the customer, the agent, and then also your quality person, and the extent to which their frame of mind, mood, life circumstances that could have a bearing. I think I don't know where this is kind of going. No, and I, you know I think actually this is um, so moving from where I've been previously in in banking um, to um, you know a different kind of setup and, and different product suite has been really interesting for me because if you think about financial services, um, sometimes there can be quite a um, defined view of what customer vulnerability is. But it actually, if you're looking at someone in a breakdown situation, in a yeah. potentially life-threatening situation mm-hmm. where they require assistance, they can be vulnerable for that 10 minutes or that hour. Um, and so it's quite different. And I think that's been kind of useful actually in challenging my interpretation of what vulnerability means. Um, and likewise, you can have vulnerability that follows through someone's you know, complete product life cycle with, with an organization. Um, so how do we pick that up in, in QM? Um, because actually from a regulatory point of view um, that might not be flagged as a regulatory risk this mm. kind of um, mm. vulnerability from a roadside perspective you know obviously if we're not selling to that individual we're serve, providing service to them but from a business perspective that risk you know is right up there because um, you know it's a risk to somebody's life at the end of the day um, and I think when you hear about some of the great work that the kind of the patrols do and, and things like that you know when, when we talk about fourth emergency service you can absolutely understand yeah. why why it's viewed as that so um, so yeah I think um, it is tough it's, it's definitely tough I think vulnerability I think the industry as a whole is definitely reviewing what we have done there and, and how we take that forward um, and I think moving forward you know how do we um, follow customers right through we talk about the customer journey but if that's five years or six years you know how do we um, establish that they're engaging with the product you know what does that mean for them um, and I think that's that's something that is you will see change over the coming years, if I'm honest, um, and there will be more importance placed on that, is following the life cycle right through, not just to renewal, but actually the totality of the time somebody's with an organisation. How have you, and so how, when it comes to customer experience, how have you equipped your teams to be able to bring that to bear in their monitoring? So, um, oh, that's, that's a really... Um, that's a really tough one, actually. The honest answer is um, we need to do more. And I think, actually, for me to sit there with a blank piece of paper and think, how do I train somebody to do that, mm. is a really, really difficult question and something I struggle with. I mean, we're reviewing our, our training and development at the moment. Um, and I think it's providing them that, with examples. Um, but I don't think that's you know t- taking everyone into a classroom. For me, that's got to be on the job. Mm. Um, and calling out where we've got great examples of them identifying things and sharing that best practice with, mm. with you know everybody else. Mm. And sometimes I think we don't do enough of that in quality. Mm. I think there's you know we focus on the negative. Um, and you probably hear that quite a lot. And certainly if you speak to speak to our customers, the operation, they'd say that. Yeah. You have to remind them. Well, no, actually, you know, we raise those great calls and things like yeah. that. But are we going to take a great call into a room and level that? Probably not. You're going to mm-hmm. look for something high content where there's been been mm. issues. Um, so I think there's more to do for sure. Um, and I've not personally seen anywhere that's um, that's got that, you know, bang on. Um, 
I think it makes sense to have it in a quality department. What you'll often see is there's separate customer experience teams. Um, now for me, is that progression for people in my department um, to step up and, and move into that? Um, or do we provide them with more insight and, and more analysis so they can do that? Um, it's, it's really tricky. One of the things we were talking about actually before we started recording but uh, was around this view that we've both talked about before around asking people who are involved to think more than just the actual result, the, the number, whether that's a percentage yeah. or um, uh, you, have, you have exceeded expectations uh, and just review, using your expertise and your experience mm. and your training, review what that interaction was like between two people over and above the score because I think you know we both agree that sometimes people just get um, distracted by the score over and above looking at the actual detail yeah absolutely and I think for us that's the so what test is you'll sit there and you'll talk about a call and it's well you know she didn't say this and this didn't happen and okay well so what yeah what what do you mean (laughs) so what you know what was the impact did the customer take an issue with it no um, was there any commercial impact? You know, did it disrupt anything in the process that fundamentally had any impact? No. We'll say what? Why are we? Why are we talking about it? Um, and I think also you've got you've got to challenge some of the processes sometimes because you know from, we can be talking about a process deviation to a blue in the face and re- as you mentioned before, reporting on that month in month out. Well, hang on a minute. If everybody that's been trained on this process is doing something different, maybe what they're doing is right, and we're the ones <laughs> that need to look back to the process yeah. map and change that. Yeah. Um, so I think um, you know, often when you talk about um, a lot of the analytical capability, one of the one of the challenges is resource because you switch something on and you're reviewing a hundred percent of your calls, whether it's speech analytics or data analytics who's in a position to do something about that and, you know the operation uh, I've got various other initiatives that they're mm-hmm. dealing with um, so whether that w- will be my team or, or what we'll look at there is it will be an interesting one um, but yeah I think you talk about data fatigue that's where you've got to be really really careful because if I'm looking at five percent of activity um, and pulling out you know process issues and, and, and customer issues um, scale that up to 100%, the thing will just topple over. So, um, you know, I think, yeah, it's it's managing the message before it happens. So there's not a tidal wave of feedback. (laughs) Now, one of the things that people have um, been feeding back about these podcasts is they've been asking me to ask people like yourself, so National Quality Manager, you're a young guy. um, (laughs) Young-ish. You mentioned... um, starting in the contact centre and then being in um, quality. Uh, One of the things that has been asked of me to ask people is um, some of the, uh, what did you do to get to where you are now and what advice would you give people who might be listening now and let's say they're they're in QA or um, they're frontline team member and they have aspirations to progress um, to the kind of level you're at now. So I think... um be strategic, and I know that sounds very Game of Thrones. But um, if I look back on my on, on my yeah on my on my journey, you know, different economies of scale is huge, and different organisations will have different risk appetites and be at different stages of the journey. Um, I mean, you look at in the last ten years, there were a lot of um, you know credit providers that kind of popped up as new organisations, fintech. Um, so you know, I started in a, in a large organisation, which was great. You know, I cut my teeth, I had some great training um, there. Um, 
following that I moved to a much smaller provider that was more agile and actually what I took as BAU business as usual if you will and was my day to day to them was brand new and Mm. actually a step forward so Mm. I was able to bring a lot of that insight to them so I think think about the organisation and where you're at because that's you know you've got to get something out of it as well it's not just uh, what you can do for them Um, and I think that makes a massive difference Um, for me now you know I've worked in you know some some large places and some some much smaller challenger kind of developments and I think that's been that's been really beneficial um to understand and I think you know if you are um sometimes people talk about well what happens on the other side you know I'm scared to leave especially if you've been invested in to a degree and you know you've gone from agent to manager or moved Mm. into I don't know training or risking compliance um, well, all of that great stuff and all of that development you've had will be equally useful to someone somewhere else. Yeah. Um, so don't be afraid to, to kind of take a chance, I think, um, but do your research. Yeah. Great. And um, when it comes to um, what excites you about the future in terms of what you're looking to do here, but also maybe in the, in the wider quality contact centre world, So um, I think from my perspective, it's been really interesting recently to actually talk to uh, people doing something similar in retail spaces because they aren't, um, I mean, they'll have some regulatory requirements, but not necessarily kind of financial services Mm. regulatory requirements. And I think what you hear from them, there's a view that we do very different things. But actually, when I hear what they're talking about from a customer experience and how that links into wider customer experience strategies, for me, they're on the front foot with that. And there's a lot that I can learn from them. Um, And, you know, at the end of the day, budget always plays a key part in that. Absolutely. Um, But I think that, you know, learning from those guys is, is absolutely key. Um, to kind of, like I said, I talked about redressing the balance. I think I think that's where we need to get to. Ultimately, we're all trying to do the same thing: is provide mm-hmm. great insight to to the business, to the organisation as a whole, to better our conversations with customers. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you have fifteen pages of scripting or one, um, you know the objective is the same. Um, so I think listening to some of what those guys are doing has been fantastic for me and has opened my eyes and challenged some of my thinking um, as to how you know I can I can get that that kind of um, ownership. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, interestingly, recently I've kind of a lot of us are kind of looking to challenge the way we're doing things, and you, you know we still have conversations and people talk about tick box compliance and and things and. You know, I can sit here and say, yeah, you know, we've moved to an outcomes-based approach and, you know, that, that ticks a, a box and we're in order action somewhere. But um, it's, it's a beast. It's very difficult to manage that, I think, um, because there's a fear of moving away from 20, 30 questions and yes, no. Um, and, and that's where I think, um, you know, it's, it's really about the investment in your people, the training and development. Mm. Great. Ed Marks, thanks very much. This has been fascinating. Thank you. I think um, I, definitely. I know we could ha- we could talk about a lot more things. So hopefully we'll be able to do this again. Yeah, very absolutely. Soon. Would love to. Yeah, yeah. brilliant. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Thanks. I hate to break it to you, but you're in for a big surprise. Five years from now, Jane, who's resigning today will ring the NASDAQ bell, officially launching her company on the public market. And what you'll soon realize is that Jane stole your most valuable data to start her new company on her way out the door.
Learn how Code42 Insider can stop data theft and protect your organization's most valuable assets. Visit Code42.com to learn more. Family. It looks a little different for everyone. For some, it's mom and dad. For others, roommates who feel like family. And for others, it's your significant other, their golfing buddies, your children, a high school soccer team starting lineup, and oh look, they're all taking you up on the offer to stay for dinner. Really testing the limits of that phrase, the more the merrier. But no matter where you call home, GEICO makes it easy to bundle and save on home and car insurance. Easier than making three frozen pizzas and assorted frozen veggies into a cohesive meal. 